The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report with me, Mandy Wiener, on 702 and Cape Talk. As you heard in that lead story on EWN, 12 people now confirmed dead in Haman's Kral. The mayor has gone to the Jubilee Hospital to see what's going on there. Residents urged not to drink the water. Uh, it really is so concerning in 2023 to be having this uh, the situation. And we know it is years in the making that uh, this has been an issue in Haman's, in Haman's Kral for such a long time. The Gauteng Department of Health saying that around 100 people presented symptoms of cholera in the area in the past week. 37 people have been admitted to the Jubilee Hospital. It's the only medical centre in that province that has recorded positive cases, but we'll also go to the Free State because there are some incidents there as well. And then do make sure that you listen in in about... 10, 15 minutes or so, because we're going to play a package from Bernadette Wicks, uh, who has spent some time in Langeville, in Ikuraleni. And this gives you a sense as to why we have a situation like we have in Hamanskral with uh, with cholera. Because it's been 12 years that residents in that informal settlement have been fighting to try and get flushing toilets. They've gone to court to try and force government uh, to provide basic uh, sanitation in the form of, of portable chemical toilets, but they want actual flushing toilets as well. So we'll bring you all of that. But let's start first at the Jubilee Hospital where the Twani Mayor, Silias Brink, is uh, inspecting the situation there. Our reporter Tabiso Goba has also been in Hamanskral where he's been speaking to people who've been affected, uh, family members uh, having died from cholera. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. You've spent some time in, in Hamanskral speaking to people uh, who have lost family members. Tell us what they've been saying. Well, good afternoon, Mandy. Um, you know, as you said, uh, we have, uh, since this morning, we have been in Hamanskral um, just speaking to well, firstly, I mean, uh, some of the people who've lost um, one of the 13 people that have now been confirmed dead. But also, we also spoke to um, the people who are actually suffering from the symptoms. Uh, you know, I did speak to a 59-year-old woman who said something, you know, that uh, is, uh, has stayed with me. You know, she said, water is life, but here in Hammond's crowd, um, the water is killing us. And, you know, it, it just goes, uh, you know, the people here in uh, Nandi are scared. Um, they're scared to touch the water. They're scared to drink the water. And, you know, Hamanskral is a relatively poor to, like, working class um, area in most parts. Um, so a lot of the people do not have the money um, to buy the bottled water. And I think this is, you know, I spoke to... Um, I spoke to... Uh, so Kelebukhile Motlake is the nephew of uh, the late Ntapiseng uh, Dekhwade. died on Wednesday in what is now has been confirmed um, to be cholera. And just listen to Kelebukhile um, explain that, you know, she, that her family doesn't have enough money to actually buy bottled water. So they have no choice but to drink what they now suspect is a contaminated water. We are forced to buy water, so things no one is making, then we are forced to drink uh, the, tank, the tank water. Do you think that maybe the tank water itself is contaminated? Because if your aunt only drank water from the tank... I'm starting to believe so, because even my mom suddenly got sick. Yeah, And I think it started maybe during this week, because all along we've, we've been drinking um, tank water, it was fine. So starting from this week, then, yeah, they all got sick. And just last question from me. Um, so, 
In terms of obviously, you said your aunt has passed away, your mom is getting sick. What, what, what are you doing now? Where are you drinking now? Where, where are you getting good from? As we speak, it's right still now. ten gota because we don't have money to buy um, uh, water. So for me, I haven't drank gota. I don't know. It's been maybe three days, four days not drinking water because I'm afraid to drink gota. And my mom has to drink pills, so she's forced to drink pills with the ten gota. Sure. So, so to be so, what? Oh, we've lost to be so. Unfortunately, that line going down there. I wanted to ask him what what residents uh, are saying because this has been going on for such a long time, uh, over a decade. We know that there have been issues with water in Haman's Kral. Uh, so, the National Institute of Communicable Diseases has now declared a cholera outbreak. Um, the first few cases were import related. They were traced to Malawi, but the NICD is saying it's concerned about the number of indigenous cases now in Haman's Kral. So let's speak to DENOSA, the Democratic Nursing Organization of South Africa in Gauteng, because it's calling on the national government to intervene on this disease outbreak over the water crisis, calling for an urgent inquiry into the water crisis in Haman's Kral. Bongani Mazibuko is the DENOSA Provincial Secretary for Gauteng. Bongani, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. How concerned are you as DENOSA about the situation specifically at Jubilee Hospital, but broadly in Gauteng as well? Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Uh, we are quite concerned because um, as we speak now, the loss of lives has continued to escalate and increase. Um, we, 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 I am currently at the hospital, and the update that we've received is that 13 patients have passed on since um, this whole thing. And <clears throat> it is quite concerning because now even the hospital itself, it is inundated with uh, patients uh, experiencing symptoms of, uh, of cholera. And now mm. the hospital is now, now needs to cope with uh, a lot more patients than they normally do. So it's uh, putting a strain on an already strained uh, system. D- does does Jubilee Hospital have capacity to deal with this kind of outbreak? Uh, they, 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 not totally. Not totally. Because I think that is the reason why even yesterday the MS was saying that some of the patients are being transferred to the Biko and uh, Dr. Academic Hospital. Because, uh, as you know, Tubili is not a tertiary hospital, but it's a regional hospital. So as such, uh, some of the expertise would be at the tertiary institutions, which is uh, Josh Mokari and uh, the Biko Hospital. But we do have, I think we do have faith in the nurses that are there. But our concern goes over and above for the safety and health of the nurses and doctors who are working in that particular hospital. Because if the water in Hammond's Kral is not safe uh, for consumption, then they are also at risk. And that means that they must be provided with clean uh, drinking water and water for giving the patients to drink their, uh, their medication and so forth. You're calling for an inquiry to be done into the situation in Haman's Kral. We know that in September of 2021, the Human Rights Commission expressed concerns about the safety of water being supplied to residents of Haman's Kral. Political parties have been pointing fingers, blaming one another. That's what happens when you have coalitions and, and different mm. administrations. What does Denosa want to see happening? What we want to see that there should be some form of consequence management. You know, uh, I think there is not enough accountability in our systems uh, in place in this country. And uh, if you look at it, as you say, people are pointing fingers at one another. And one can help but raise the question that if the water, the, the water issue that is currently being experienced by the residents of Hamans Clan, if that same situation was taking place in Pretoria North or in uh, Centurion, would it have taken this long even after the report by the Human Rights Commission? 
to attend to it. And would we be at a point where we even had to lose human lives before the situation can be attended to? So those are just some of the questions that we are asking ourselves as Binosa, and we want an investigation to say what should be done from here. And we also want to, uh, there should be a complete check to say where is the source of this particular outbreak. As uh, you had indicated that there was a strain from Malawi that has been chased, but as well, currently, we know that the water is not drinkable in Hamanskar, and the people are being exposed, and it, it, it's just an... Uh, situation that is just not sustainable mm. for the community and it makes things very difficult even for healthcare workers to do their job. Bongani, thank you. Bongani Mazibuko, Denosa Provincial Secretary in Gauteng, speaking to us there about the situation in Hamans Kral. Uh, as he said, there's a lot of pressure at Jubilee Hospital. Now we are waiting for the Twani Mayor, Silias Brink, and other officials as well to start a briefing at the Jubilee Hospital. We'll try and bring that to you live as it happens um, because we are very much seeing an outbreak of cholera uh, in Gauteng, but there are also cases in the Free State too. Good afternoon, Mindy. Mindy, the Hamans Kral issue... It's it's heartbreaking because this issue has been there for for a number of years, where you can see that officials they just neglecting what they're supposed to be doing. Every time they'll wait for somebody to die and say that no, this will never happen again. For how long should the people of Amanskra suffer from water in crisis? Because this has been a number since ANC was in government. DA is doing the same thing now. They're playing politics. This one will be saying, no, uh, the city doesn't have money because of so and so. Why can't you provide services to the people when you, 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 you raise your hand for being elected as a leader? Musharabai. Hey, Musheri, thanks. Uh, This is the problem, right? As I said, when you have coalitions, when you have change of administration, it's easy to blame each other. But this has been going on for years and years. And and I wonder if Bongani's correct. If this was happening in Pretoria North, if it was happening in Centurion, would we see uh, the same kind of lackadaisical approach? Well, let's get a picture from the Free State now, because there have also been cases in Fredafort and in Paris, as well as surrounding areas of Fazile Dabe and the Free State. Um, there was a meeting yesterday with the Free State MEC for Health and various executive mayors as well. Mondli Mvambi is the Free State Department of Health spokesperson. Mondli, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Give us a, a picture of what's happening with cholera in the Free State. Good afternoon and good afternoon to all uh, 702 uh, listeners. Uh, the situation in the first state um, is, uh, um, it's, 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 well, we're cautious, uh, as it were, uh, because we, we see, we saw an increase in the numbers, cases of people that were showing in our health facilities, clinics, and uh, the uh, Paris Hospital and the Tumelo Hospital uh, with, uh, cases of uh, diarrhea, and then out of that 76, in the period of May, uh, six of them were diagnosed as, uh, you know, uh, suffering from cholera, and they were treated, six of them, and um, the surveillance uh, uh, team uh, checked their, their contact, and then it was found that this, uh, this is only the six uh, that tested positive to cholera. Uh, and it's it's uh, to a certain extent controllable in that sense, and then we we decided to embark on uh, extensive uh, hygiene education uh, for people to boil water, uh, for people to wash hands, for people to wash their their uh, uh, fruits and uh, mm. vegetables, uh, and just to be to you know to take all the precautionary measures. 
to make sure that we don't have uh, any further cases of uh, the spread right. uh, of cholera. But it remains, we remain concerned because uh, that is why the NEC uh, convened that meeting yesterday. Because after getting the reports of what was happening, uh, she felt that uh, we cannot be complacent as a province and say we, we do not have deaths. Uh, therefore, we we can just let the situation be as it is. Uh, but we need to be to be to be sure about the water uh, that it is tested. We get the the results, and we know what the source uh, of of the cholera is. What what, what is the, the the source of the cholera? Is it imported or is it from a specific water supply? It, it, it's unknown at the moment because uh, you you know Fredford Paris area. Um, it's 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 an area on the border borderline between northwest and and Gauteng, and people uh, travel all over the place, and and you know in the in the recent months we've been having cholera uh, alerts in southern Africa, uh, and uh, the first state is a is a is a province where people pass uh, through uh, the N1, the N3, the N N5, N6, N8, uh, all of them uh, were a, a border. A province at the heart of the country. Uh, we've got about six uh, other provinces that are neighbors and the kingdom of Lesotho. So the uh, the, the, the tra- transportation and mobility of, of, of people uh, could also be a, another source. We are not excluding that. So we are, okay. uh, that is why we are, we are optimistic, uh, but, but we are very cautious that we, we will be able to uh, to, to, to keep the spread. Mondli, thank you very much. Uh, Mondli Mvambi is the Free State Department of Health spokesperson, giving us uh, a picture of what the situation is in the Free State because there have been cases of cholera, no deaths, um, but cases of diarrhea and cholera in Fredafort and Paris. Uh, so they are very concerned about that. On 702 and Cape Talk, this is the Midday Report with Mandy Wiener, brought to you by Nedbank Commercial Banking. Specialists to enable your business growth aspirations. So while we're all angry and point fingers and wish that government would take some kind of accountability for this cholera issue, um, this story will give you an understanding of why we're in this situation now. So in 2011, residents of an informal settlement called Langeville in Ikuruleni went to court they had the Ikuruleni municipality ordered to provide interim basic sanitation in the form of portable chemical toilets. It's 12 years later, and this is still all they have. They only have portable chemical toilets. They don't have any flushable toilets. So now they've gone back to court, and the case was argued earlier this month. The judgment is still pending. But in the meantime, Bernadette Wicks from EWN visited the community. She spoke to residents about why they have gone to court and what it's like to live in these conditions every day. Have a listen. For most, it's a sound that's so much a part of everyday life, it barely even registers. But not for residents of this informal settlement in the East Rand Township of Langeville. 30 years after it was founded in 1993, a year before the dawn of democracy in South Africa, they're still fighting for basic amenities like flushing toilets. As Makosini and Tlapo says, they don't feel liberated yet. We don't enjoy the freedom here. 
Under the Water Services Act of 1997, everyone has a right of access to basic water and sanitation, and it's up to a water services authority or municipality to ensure this. But it wasn't until 2011, after going to court and getting an order against the Akuraleni municipality, that this community was provided with interim basic sanitation in the form of portable chemical toilets. Now, 12 years on, this interim measure is still all they have. So now they've gone back to court. Inflapo is the first applicant. The right to access to basic sanitation is also linked to the right to access to adequate housing. They want the municipality declared in breach of its constitutional obligation to progressively realize this right. The case was argued before Judge Stephen Cooney in the High Court in Johannesburg earlier this month, with judgment reserved. In the meantime, the community is desperate. Some, like this mother, have resorted to relieving themselves in buckets at night, venturing out into the darkness to to use one of the portable chemical toilets is the only other option, and it isn't worth the risk. We end up using a bucket because you don't know what you will come across if you go outside. Another woman who did chance it one night now bears a jagged scar along her knuckles to show for it. One man said he would rather die than continue living like this. 64-year-old Mopule Moachi is the third applicant in the court case and a community safety and security representative. She says, like in most informal settlements, crime is rife here. There's a woman who fell inside this toilet during the night and boys walked towards the toilet because they saw her go inside. They closed the door and pushed the toilet to the ground. When the woman came out from there, she was a mess. She had no choice because that was the only toilet she could use and she was pressed. The toilets are also dirty and they smell. And during heavy rains, the dirt roads that snake through the settlement become waterlogged and inaccessible for the trucks, residents say. And they sometimes go weeks without seeing one, leaving the community to empty them themselves. If it's not the decaying human waste, it's the harsh chemicals used to clean the tanks. Inflapo is a father of four, with his youngest just seven years old. Growing up in nearby Tsakane and Kwatema, Inflapo himself had a flushing toilet. It was only when he came here to Langeville in 1993 that he had to learn how to live without one. But it's all his children have ever known. But yeah, uh, we look like animals. It's a bucket system. In court, the municipality argued that while unfortunate, the community's situation was not unique. It said there were 37,500 toilets like these ones in 119 informal settlements, which are home to around 160,000 people within the city limits. It was adamant this was rational in the context of the ever-burgeoning need for such basic services versus the financial constraints to meet these needs and legal obligations. The municipality said providing permanent services would have a domino effect on its planning and strategy and that identified beneficiaries and other projects would be left to wait for longer for their turn. It also said these residents may qualify for housing in the 34 billion rand John Dube Village megacity development project expected to be completed in 2027. Bernadette Wicks, Eyewitness News. Our thanks to Bernadette Wicks for bringing us that package from Langeville in Ikuruleni. And you can understand why, when there's no running water, there are no flushing toilets, issues like cholera develop. Keep updated. All you need to know in 60 minutes. This is the Midday Report with Mandy Wiener on Cape Talk.
So I did tell you that the Tuani Mayor, Silias Brink, is at the Jubilee Hospital. He was supposed to start a press conference uh, at 12 o'clock. We've been waiting for that to happen. Um, there's been a lot of action there and development in the last uh, couple of minutes because the community there has chased Silias Brink out of the area. I've seen him on television being driven away in a white BMW. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, there for us. Tabiso, uh, tell us what happened. Um, good afternoon, Amanda. As, as you can hear, the people are thinking they just successfully uh, chased away the Tony Mayor Celia Briggs. So what happened is when he arrived, uh, Mandy, when uh, uh, some of the community um, saw him and uh, they actually approached him, about 20 or 30 people actually approached him. And as soon as they approached him, um, he went back to his car, the security guard. Uh, put him back in his car, and the people started hitting on the car. Um, even some missiles were thrown at the narrow car. Um, so basically what the issue is, uh, that people are saying here is that um, this issue in Tuani has been bubbling for a while, in Hamilton, um, for, for a matter of fact, has been bubbling for a while, and the politicians, um, they're not necessarily blaming Brink. I think everyone is aware that he just stepped into this position of mayor, but I think they're just um, tired of the politicians and the empty promises and, you know, now they're saying that, you know, how many more people have to die before um, the municipality acts? You know, 12 people had to die before they, mm. to take them seriously. And, you know, I think what we're just seeing now is frustration from people um, here in Hammersfield that's just boiled over. Tabiso, was, was the mayor in any direct physical danger or did they um, get him out of there before uh, he could be struck by anything that was thrown at him? Um, well, I, I didn't see everything, um, Mandy, but uh, from what I saw, um, his security guard uh, were able to escort him away inside the car safely. The, his security guard were even outside the car, um, just making sure that he was escorted uh, safely out of the hospital. Um, but um, I didn't see the first part. Uh, I can't comment on that. But what I saw, um, he, was in, uh, he, was in, uh, he didn't suffer any physical harm. Okay, Tabiso, thank you very much. Uh, Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, he'll uh, keep monitoring that situation. I am watching on ENCA at the moment. I can see uh, residents have been uh, singing and dancing. I did see the uh, the mayor's vehicle being driven out of that facility uh, a couple of minutes ago. I didn't see any of the the real action. Um, I don't think they, they managed to capture all of that. Um, but as we heard from Tabiso, the residents there do not want the mayor because they do not want any elected officials. They do not one government there, that's the level of frustration. 12 people, some reports saying 13 people, have now died in Hammond's Kral because of an outbreak of cholera there. And that is because we have not seen government move on this issue for years. It's something that could have been addressed a long time ago, and now the community there is having to deal with it. The Midday Report. Hi, good morning, Mandy. I think it's very sad to realize that 12 people died from cholera, which is, which is a preventable uh, outbreak, Mandy. In a country which was prepared to donate 50 million rand to Cuba to alleviate poverty, if it wasn't about Afroforum, Mandy, we could have paid that amount of money to alleviate poverty in Cuba, where is there people who are still dying in a country? from cholera in the 21st century, Mandy. I think it's very, very sad, Mandy. Thanks, David. Mandy, this is Tudy. In my humble opinion, that was very distorted reporting. Yes, it's a very serious problem, but no mention of boiling the water was made. Nobody 
is forcing anybody to do anything that is unhealthy by drinking the water out of the tap and not everybody can afford bottled water given. However, is there any possibility that boiling the water might help in this particular situation? That was not mentioned and gives a very skewed situ uh, um, 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 picture of the actual situation. Thank you. I'm not sure I entirely agree with that because I don't think we should be compelled to boil water either. Um, our government should be providing us with running water. That's why we pay tax. That's why they are elected to the positions that they are in. Um, I understand that the concern for people is that they should boil water if there is a, a concern about cholera. But really, in, in 2023, we should be able to provide running water to communities so that people are not dying of cholera. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener on 702 at Cape Talk. Brought to you by NetBank Commercial Banking. See money differently. So you may have seen some reports over the weekend about a controversy around a book about Action SA leader Herman Mashaba. Uh, Action SA has now issued a statement clarifying the outsider book arrangements. Um, and that is the biography uh, which has been authored by Prince Mashele about Herman Mashaba's life and political experience. So Action SA has put out the statement in response. And what it says is that Herman Mashaba agreed to provide the initial finance of 12.5 million rand 12.5 million rand in his personal capacity to Mashele because he was struggling to raise the funds a contract was signed in March 2019 which provided explicit editorial control of content to the author Mashele um, and then uh, they're saying that financing a project does not provide editorial control of content which has been a surprising claim by some members of the media whose publications are owned by private financial interests. So the concern here is that this is being presented as an unauthorized so in other words it's independent but yet Prince Mashele was paid 12 and a half million rand by the subject of the book to write the book. So the one thing I'd like to say about this is that please do not come and ask me for a loan. Journalists and authors of books in this country, Palessa, do not get paid 12 and a half million rand to write a book. I have written a couple of books with uh, the subject. So I wrote a book about Fuzi Piccoli. I wrote a book uh, about Robert Marawa. I can assure you I was not paid 12 and a half million rand to write either of those books. It just doesn't happen in this country. So for me, that is something is so off about this just because of the sheer number involved here. Most ghostwriters, um, top end, would get paid about 150,000 rand. If you're really good and really experienced, you might get paid three hundred thousand rand but to be paid a hundred times more than that that doesn't make sense at all we did ask Herman Mashaba to come on today it was a hard no we asked Michael Beaumont who also incidentally wrote a book about Herman Mashaba uh, to come on and we were told that he was unavailable to come on today and I think there are questions that need to be answered here from Action SA because where did the money come from? They say it came from Herman Mashaba directly. Does it affect his credibility? Well, Action SA says they stand behind the ethical integrity of their president, which remains unimpeached. Opportunistic political opponents have sought to use this matter to score political points against Action SA because of our party's rapid 
rapid growth trajectory. Action SA stands proud that the president of our party has lived a remarkable life with many achievements that have given him the means to finance this project and share a story that is worthy of being told. Listen, if Herman Mashaba is willing to pay 12.5 million rand to somebody to, to write a book about him when there are already books about him, one of which he wrote and one of which Michael Beaumont wrote, then either that's a very bad business decision or there's something very, very dodgy about it. The Midday Report. Earlier today, the Home Affairs Minister, Aaron Mutsuledi, held a press conference to speak about Tabo Besta and Dr. Nandipa Magudamana. And this is all around clarity around the South African passports that was going to be revoked, an urgent court application by Nandipa Magudamana against the state and other matters as well. So Dr. Mutsuledi announcing that uh, Tabo Besta was officially issued with a South African ID on the 17th of May of this year. His name's officially been entered into the National Population Register. Motsuredi also apologized to Dr. Pashi, Dr. Pashi and Chani, that she deposed to an affidavit when she applied for a passport in 2019, saying he stands by his statement, however, that Dr. Pashi's two passports were found in Dr. Nandipa Magudamana's possession in Tanzania. Let's unpack all of this with Khomotso Mudise. Khomotso, good afternoon to you. Take us through what Aaron Motsuredi said in this press conference. Well, Mandy, today's press conference really was to iron out some details around the developments in the Tabo Besta and Nandipa Makurumana saga. We heard from um, the minister really speaking about uh, the urgent application that Dr. Nandipa Makurumana will make on Thursday in the Bloemfontein High Court. That application is to challenge her deportation, or she's calling it an extradition in her document, as well as her arrest. Uh, We do know that she was brought back from Tanzania in April last year, and she was arrested together with Besta here in South Africa. She faces a number of charges, including violation of a corpse, as well as seeking the ends of justice. And what we're getting from uh, at least the court papers that she's filed in that urgent application is that she's saying South African police do not have the jurisdiction to be able to carry out an arrest in a sovereign state that is Tanzania. And so she's questioning and challenging the lawfulness of her arrest, essentially. Now, today, Dr. Aaron Mutonedi is saying that they, as Home Affairs, were at the forefront of this um, process to deport her back to South Africa. And so he's questioning why Home Affairs is not cited as a respondent. He, in fact, is demanding that they be added and be taken to court. He's dared Makurumana's lawyers to allow them to be respondents in this matter, as, she, as he says they played a rather pivotal role in ensuring that they come back to South Africa to face the law. Well, let's have a listen to what Dr. Aaron Motsuledi said on this issue during that press conference, Hamotso. And we've seen there's been media reports regarding the urgent application launched by Dr. Nandi Magudimana in Bloemfontein. The Director General only managed to access the court papers yesterday. The Director General was shocked to discover that the Department of Home Affairs and I, as the Minister, were not cited as respondents in that matter. This is despite the fact that on the 15th of May 2023, there were exchanges there was there were exchange of correspondence between the director general and Mutlowing Inc. attorneys of record for Dr. Nantipa Magutuman. The attorneys wrote us letters, there was an exchange, and that then they go to court without citing home affairs. It shocked us. The director general immediately addressed a letter. 
dated the 21st of May 2023, that's yesterday, yeah? yes, to her attorneys raising objections to the nine joinder of the Department of Home Affairs and myself as the minister and demanded that the ill-advised application be removed from the agent role. That's the Home Affairs Minister speaking earlier today. Khamotso, can you explain uh, this issue around Dr. Dr. Pashi? The apology, but not an apology. Sorry, but not sorry. Yeah. What, what's that about? So what happened was uh, about when was it in April when the minister had that briefing, he had um, told the media how Dr. Pashi had actually deposed of an affidavit where she had said that her uh, passport was stolen or lost. And this was when she was applying for her second passport. And um, the minister then you know, spoke to the media about that, saying that's how she was then awarded or given a second passport. Today, the minister, after Dr. Pashi, um, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, threatened to take legal action against him and the department, the minister has come back to say he, in fact, was ill-informed and that there was no affidavit. However, he stands by a lot of what he said in that particular press briefing, including how both of Dr. Pashi's uh, uh, documents, passports, were in Dr. Nandi Pamakurumana's possession when she was arrested in Tanzania. He says there is nothing that he wants to change there. And in fact, he does say you know, that um, there was another affidavit really that Dr. Pashi had deposed of where she does confirm that Makurumana has both of her ID doc, um, her passports. However, he does come back to say that it was not true that she did say that it was stolen or, um, or, or, or um, had been lost. You know? And I don't, I'm not sure that makes much of a difference because Essentially, at the end of the day, Mandy, um, there is a, a clear uh, statement from Home Affairs that these passports were found in, in Makurumana's possession mm. while Makurumana was on the run in Tanzania. So this doesn't really do much, I think, in this particular matter. However, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I asked the minister uh, whether we know what Dr. Pashi's role has been thus far. And I asked him to take us into his confidence to detail to us, at least as, as the media, where that police investigation is. And he says he cannot speak on that. It is the work of the police to comment on that investigation. Khamotso, thank you very much. Khamotso Modise, EWN reporter, speaking to us there following that briefing earlier today. The Midday Report. The Electricity Minister, Josienzo Ramachopa, is visiting the Kusile power station today. The minister is going to receive a status report on the measures taken to bring back the four units at Kusile by December. What exactly does the Electricity Minister do? Because I saw last week he went to go see King Misizulu. There was a courtesy visit. Uh, he also went to a Toyota factory as well. Today he is checking out the power station. I can understand that. Uh, he doesn't really have powers, so I, I think he's got to keep himself busy. Ndaedzo Netonje, EWN reporter, following that one for us. Ndaedzo, uh, what has the Electricity Minister been saying upon his visit to the Kusile power station? Yeah, good afternoon, Mandy. Just to answer your last question, the electricity minister seems to suggest that you don't need to be given powers by the president in order to execute some of the duties uh, that uh, he has to do. Uh, he says some of the things that are happening here at uh, ESCOM are engineering issues. He says putting one and one together and equaling two does not need you to have powers. It's an engineering issue that just needs you to implement whatever that needs to be implemented here at ESCOM. Nonetheless, he says if three of the units that have broken down here at Kusile are brought back online 
by uh, the uh, set date, which is by the end of December, we could see lower stages of uh, load shedding, at least three uh, stages lower than what we're experiencing now. But Mandy, he has come out to say um, he can't give those guarantees that it it would be the case. In fact, uh, he went on to even say that uh, he can't guarantee and say with certainty that during this current winter period, we won't see stage eight load shedding. So far to say that he is, the people at ESCOM are trying their level best to avoid stage eight, but he would not say that with certainty that we will never get there. Hmm. Ndaizo, thank you so much. Ndaizo Netonje, EWN reporter who's following the electricity minister, Josienzo Ramachopa, as he visits the Kusile power station. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. The Midday Report.